winemakers in the Santa Cruz Mountains are trying to pick up the pieces and dust off the ashes from the devastating CZU Lightning Complex fires in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And today we're going to hear the stories of loss and hope, uh, what's happening in the vineyards now, and what the plans are for the future. And we have some very special guests with us today, so we're glad you've come along. Hello and welcome to Sip Sip Hooray. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin. Um, and just because you haven't been seeing coverage or reading about the fires in the Santa Cruz Mountains lately, doesn't mean that everybody is out of the woods, so to speak. Um, there's still some spot fires. There's the whole issue of, you know, making sure everything is safe um, all these weeks later. It's been about a month since the fires ignited from lightning storms across the Santa Cruz Mountains particularly hard hit were the areas around Bonnie Dune and Boulder Creek. And um, our guests have personal stories. Each one of them are different. And we want to give them as much time as possible to let you know what's going on. And then we're going to talk about how our listeners can help and um, with the ongoing recovery. And, you know, of course, at the midst of this all, it's COVID and it's harvest. But we are so grateful to our guests for joining us today. We've got Prudy Fox of Fox Viticulture, who is um, got the broad view of the Appalachian as she works with many of the wonderful vineyards in the region. We have Bradley Brown, proprietor and winemaker at Big Basin Vineyards in Boulder Creek. We've got Annalise McHenry of McHenry Vineyards in Bonnie Dune, and also Ryan Beauregard, who's winemaker owner of Beauregard Vineyards in Bonnie Dune. So I think. Um, Welcome to all of you. We're glad you're here. We know this is a busy time for you. And maybe we should just start, Mary, by just asking each each of our guests to kind of give us the lowdown about what happened and you know where they're with with Yeah, kind of walk us through what you went through. Hmm. You want me to start since Yeah, go go ahead, Bradley. Yes. We were the first evacuation order. Um, well, the first of the, of the guests today. And uh, so it was on a Tuesday. Um, and I'd had a outpatient medical procedure that morning. They told me not to do anything crazy that afternoon. <laughs> and uh, so I was, I was on the property and I can't remember what I was doing, but um, you know, the fires had been out burning out in Butano Canyon, kind of to the north of us, pretty far away from many of our places and uh, burning closer to the coast um, on the other side of Big Basin Road State Park. So we had not had too much smoke, you know, a little bit of smoke, but not enough to cause any smoke taint or anything like that. And we were just kind of hopeful that we were gonna dodge this bullet and they would get these things under control. Well. The winds had started whipping up that day a little bit on the ridge tops, 25 mile an hour gust. And the winds were coming out of the Northwest and apparently they blew, were blowing huge embers cause it was just burning like crazy in Butano. And there was huge firestorms happening that day with all the heat. And there were like, from reports of people who saw them, like baseball-sized chunks of burning ash or burning embers flying, you know, up to almost a mile away from Butano. And one of these spot fires happened within a mile of my place up at 236 and upper, upper 236 in China grade. 
and um, which is also at the junction of East Ridge Fire Road and Big Basin Road State Park, so kind of on the periphery of the park there. And um, I didn't really, I, I kind of saw this big new smoke plume starting. And um, we were, I was dealing with a water pump failure on our main water pump to the property and calling one of the guys who lives right near me about getting an emergency repair done so we could refill our water tank. We'd been watering the vineyard. And uh, while I was on the phone with them, a helicopter flies over and it says, evacuate immediately, evacuate immediately. Mm. And we're like, oh my God, what's going on? How did this suddenly come about? You know, I thought this fire was miles away from us. And, you know, I, in my addled brain, post-procedure brain, I you know, at least got the camper on the truck, uh, on our dually truck, so I'd have something to evacuate in and grabbed a few things, but not much, and uh, went down to the winery. And from down at the winery, I could see the smoke plume coming off of Upper China Grade in 236, mm-hmm. and it was huge. And, uh, but there was no air support being called in at that time. It was around 6 p.m. I don't know if they'd run out of time already on the air tankers, but they couldn't do anything. And, um, you know, I went down the winery, although, it, would have had no impact because by the time the fire got to us, it was two days later. Um, and then we took off and um, evacuated first to Boulder Creek to a friend's place. And then we were kind of just settling in for the evening. And, and my friend who lived a couple doors down from where we evacuated to comes knocks on the camper door and says, we just got the evacuation order. So we left there. And then I went down to Santa Cruz and, uh, Point. That evening, I got a message from a friend whose son is like a policeman or something, or follows the police scanners. And they said that the fire had already jumped Empire Grade and was now running down Empire Grade. Um, so it had basically gone from China Grade to down East Ridge, all the way across uh, Lodge Road, Old Big Basin Highway, straight up Eagle Rock. And you know, it's finally clear enough, you can really see now. And I was just up there today and it's like the whole side of Eagle Rock is completely just burnt to a crisp. Mm. And, um, and I drove Empire Grade yesterday all the way to Jameson Creek, it was insane. There's probably a hundred trucks up there doing, you know, tree removal and repair and and i mean it took forever to do the drive but um but yeah so that fire that night ran all the way there i called mark bright who's friends with ryan and i and i said hey man this fire is running towards your place on alba road you know i know i knew he had a huge wine collection stored there and you know he ended up calling somebody in and i believe his place but very very close to burning his place down too to save like his whole wine cellar I'm sure that it was going to be safe <laughs> but that fire ran so quick that was the night that was our period that the fire doubled in size mm. so that was kind of the big run happened that night and you know i'll just say that i taken not trying to get back into my property the next day i waited till thursday two days later and um i went up with my girlfriend and I could go in a back way off of Highway 9 up Teal to, to, by uh, Pinecrest, it's called. And uh, 
I said, hey, look, if we see flames, we're turning around, we're leaving, we're out of here. Yeah, you've got kids. You yeah, I got kids, right? And, you know, I don't think anything was really worth it, but we, as soon as we turned on a pine crush, she's like, oh my God, there's huge flames. Mm. So we saw these huge flames. Doug, who works for me, had driven it just probably an hour before us, and he, he drove by a bunch of flames to get to his place. Um, he went out a different road to get out of there. He wasn't going to go back through there, but uh, he had video footage that day of the flames coming up. They had taken two days to get from that ridge eastward towards our property, towards um, you know much of the golf course and Boulder areas of Boulder Creek. We got heavily impacted, Memory Lane, China Grade, and uh, it, it was like kind of a slow ground creep fire. And they had engines there. Thursday, um, and I they saved our winery. I'm pretty damn sure because the flames came all, all around the winery. They right across the road from the winery. They burned, you know, huge storage sheds we had right across the driveway from the winery. It must have had hundred foot flames. I mean, I had rare wood stored in them and stuff. And the winery didn't miraculously didn't burn, but we lost all of our fenders, all every last piece of farm equipment, every tool that imaginable and uh i guess put out a fire on the house but the fire got around and took out the house completely later and uh we had the first four vintages of big basins stored in my what i thought was secure cellar <laughs> but uh you know so yeah we had a pretty big that was the kind of and then the vineyards were heavily damaged so um our vineyards we lost smoke tank we have no hope the, the numbers were through the through the roof on smoke change, so nothing salvageable. We kind of had that realization yesterday as we harvested some fruit and put it in the press just to see if we could salvage it as a rosé or something, but it was, it actually kind of smoke tainted the press and we had to wash it like three times to get the smell out of it, so we pretty much given up. You're smiling, yeah. Bradley, but you've been through hell and back, and there's, it's a tremendous loss, you know, your home, your yeah. beautiful home, and the, the vineyard, the crop, you know, and wine mm -hmm. collection, so much lost, yes, and I'm so, so sorry. So much, yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, and Alyssa, you and your family have also had tremendous loss. Tell us um, your story. You need to unmute, please. Hey, and everybody, we're doing this via Zoom, so please forgive any audio hiccups or right. whatever. Um, so we, um, we actually left the property on uh, Sunday morning after the uh, lightning storms on the 16th. Uh, um, there was this horrible storm, terrible wind, knocked the power out and started uh, the Warrenella fire. It was about a mile northwest of us. Um, uh, it didn't seem at that point that that fire was a immediate threat to us, but we knew that the the power was going to be out for some time because uh, PG&E couldn't access the lines. They were in the fire area. So we packed up and left and kind of thought, all right, we'll be back in a few days. Everything will be fine. Um, and then Tuesday night started to hear the reports of the embers flying, landing in Bonnie Dune, up around Lockheed and Braymore. Um, and then we just sort of had to sit tight and wait and see. Um, the first update we got was Wednesday afternoon from Ryan. That was Wednesday. Ryan sent us a picture of that, you know, outside from the road of our property. And it was clearly in, there were flames uh, in the vineyard and the trees beyond. 
uh, but we still didn't know the extent of the damage uh, until Friday. Um, so we think it, yeah, it happened on Wednesday. On Friday, my husband Brandon was able to get in and see it. And we, uh, our winery burned to the ground and our cabin there uh, burned to the ground. Uh, the vineyard sustained some damage, um, but not, um, it's not devastating. My grandparents' home on the property um, made it, which is a little silver lining. Although, you know, the whole area around the house is very badly burned and damaged. Uh, there were clearly, there was clearly a crew who came in and um, could not, couldn't save our cabin. We call it the caboose um, or the winery, but they did get there in time. They were able to go into the winery and pull out some mementos, some pictures, mm. some ribbons, uh, some things like that. So that's really very sweet. Um, and they, you know, dug lines around my grandma's house and clearly did a lot of work to save it. So we are incredibly grateful uh, I'm sure. for that. I the cabin was built, I think, what, 19? Sorry? The cabin was hand-built by your grandpa? I I'm sorry, Mary, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? The cabin was hand-built by your grandfather? Yeah, it was. It was uh, a long time ago. The property was a summer camp. And that was, there was a big concrete slab, a long skinny slab that they had a bunkhouse on. Um, and he decided to make it a cabin and everyone in the family thought he was a little loopy, um, but he did it. And it was the sweetest little cabin, you know, it was all furnished with family knickknacks and heirlooms and very, you know, put together haphazardly, but you know, just a really sweet and special place for, you know, my whole family. So that's a huge loss. Um, and now we don't have anywhere to stay to go um, do the things that we need to do when we are, you know, tending to the vineyard, uh, which is, you know, turning into a big problem. It's been five weeks since the fire and we just got power back um, a few days ago, um, but there's still no water. The both wells, the wellheads burned. Um, so they've been fixed, but now there's no electricity at the well. So we haven't been able to put any water on our vines uh, since before the fire, which is really problematic because 20% of our vineyard was uh, brand new. We planted this June. Um, so those little guys are struggling. Um, wow. You know, this is, you know, something, you know, because of the fire, the, all the deer fencing, you know, burned down. So the, the, the vineyard is just completely exposed to wildlife, which, you know, I find actually a little bit heartening because you can tell walking around that lots of animals are just feasting on this sort of oasis of food and <laughs> green because uh -huh. uh, everything around is burned. You know, we have yeah. 10 acres, yeah. 20 acres on the backside of the property of Redwood Forest and it's all burned. You know, it's just this wild land is gone. So yeah. it's a lot of, you know, it's an interesting, a lot of interesting things happening with the wildlife. And, yeah. yeah, we just got power yesterday as well at the winery and we've been on backup generator power cal wow. power did let us in with a generator i don't know a week after the fire um it was at least a week before they let us in there with special permission to get, get backup power going mm -hmm. and we've been trucking in water the whole time we're just waiting to get power restored to one more pump house and then we might actually have water but mm -hmm. all of our irrigation is completely fried Hmm. Oh. Manifold, so we can't even irrigate the vineyard even if we have water, and uh, the main water tank that supplies irrigation is 
gonna have to be replaced too. I mean, it probably would hold water, but all the plastic fittings and all the piping mm. and that are all fried. Wow. So, Just uh, so hard, so heartbreaking all around. And I have to say one of the most heartbreaking photos I've seen, Annalisa was on the um, McHenry um, Facebook page that showed the bottles, the burnt bottles. Um, and I, I know you, you all lost some vintages, right? Um, yeah, that's that's really heartbreaking. That was our whole library. That was everything. Um, you know, this this would have been our fortieth uh, harvest. Uh, 1980 was our first commercial year. So that you know, we had all that old wine, and it's gone. Although I did manage to salvage a very damaged bottle, empty bottle of 1980. So we have that little heirloom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, and Ryan, why don't you tell us about what what you were your uh, winery was saved and your your and you helped save others too can you tell us about the fire and and how you jumped into action what happened um <clears throat> yeah it's a pretty big story but i'll give you the highlights um <laughs> first uh, evacuation night i got my dogs and cats and birds and all that kind of stuff out and then the morning head back up and uh had a sheriff deputy friend let me um, come in, give me a little escort. And uh, along with a lot of other people, and it seemed like about mm, 100 some odd dudes with tractors and all the, um, you know, strong backs and tools and all that kind of stuff came and stayed back and protected our properties. And this and, is the Bonnie um, Dune area. Yeah. Yeah. So we got this little area called the Green Island right now. It didn't, didn't really burn as hot in our area. Um, then it kind of went from crown fires that were in different uh, locations to ground fires. So we had we had a chance at it. Um, a lot of people had trash pumps and stuff like that in their pools for their own fire hoses and stuff like that. And a lot of people came over to the winery and grabbed fermentation bins and threw them in the back of their pickup trucks and were able to fill them up with water at our horse ranch. And um, a lot of people drive around just putting out spot fires and digging holes or trenches around. Uh, or little breaks around, um, you know, fires were happening and, you know, just went on and on and on, you know, it was wearing respirators with, um, you know, like a, like a painting respirator that would protect your eyes and filter the air um, that you're breathing in. And uh, I don't know, we'd get up at it at six in the morning and go until midnight and get a little bit of sleep and, um, you know, just kind of going at it but it was it was a little spooky when you're up here and the power's out and there's four days where a cal fire didn't show up and there's maybe like one truck at some point but uh we were by ourselves and uh you know for me i'm you know i'm fourth generation my kids are fifth generation and bonnie doing and i'm part of the mountain and the mountain's part of me so i wasn't going yeah i stayed the entire i stayed the entire time you know and slept outside at night so I could hear the fires or any sort of indication that anything was going on. Okay. And, um, you know, slept outside with the mask on and it actually worked out pretty good. I did wake up and, and uh, find a fire on the neighbor's property and was able to work on it. We had little ham radios and kind of um, formed our own little brigade in my neighborhood. And that was one of about, I don't know, 20 or something like that. And uh, seemed like we were effective. I don't know if we really did anything or not, or if it was a miracle, but seemed like we tried, you know, they did a lot of digging and sprayed a lot of water. 
That is so brave of you and your compadres to just, you know, hold the line and fight. I mean, how scary. Um, have you had any experience fighting fires? Nope. How did, you, how did you know what to do? I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. I had um, one neighbor that was a professional fireman who came around with us and kind of gave us a little bit of coaching, you know, mm -hmm. how to how to properly dig a break. A lot of people want to dig the the um the dust away from where the fire was, but you actually want to dig it into the fire, you know, which seemed kind of counterintuitive. So that you you know you any sort of embers or sparks you put back into there. Um, yeah, we went 29 days without a lot of, without electricity which whatever, we're camping, camping inside my house. And, um, you know, we had a propane generator and it lasted for a while. Um, but got down to like 19% and didn't know when the flames were really going to be coming to our house specifically. So, you know, it got down to the point where that propane was just for fire suppression only. Mm -hmm. But I had put sprinklers on the redwood trees over one of the yurts on the property where my in-laws live and um, sprinklers on the roof of the winery with garden hoses and whatnot and were they effective i have no idea it was raining embers you know it was uh, the tan oak leaves primarily and there was you know little pieces of lumber if you can believe that that were coming potentially from braymore you know miles away but that fire was hot you know and um at a certain point like that that first night when i got the animals out um I mean, it was raining fire it was it was disheartening i went down and brought the animals to my wife and said there's no way there's no way we're gonna make it you know oh, and um you know there's one point where my neighbor's shed caught on fire and luckily i had my tractor at the uh house because i was doing some cleanup and just some silliness it wasn't at the vineyard and had a you know had my bucket and scraper on it so i was able to push the fire around and um you know made a break around their house made a break around my house and you know, but there's, there was a big group of people that were involved with it. You know, I had, I had a little tiny piece of a massive effort. Well, that's but, the thing um, about your area. It's such a community, you know, um, you all banded together. And as you said, Cal Fire wasn't available in the beginning. And you, so you were left on your own to figure out how to protect your homes, your property and, and your lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I was saying, like, I just, I'm just too, um, too rooted to leave. Yeah. You know, and it was like one of those things where, say you owned a home and you'd been here for a while and whatnot, and it was just like a spot where you're at for the um, that period of time in life. And if it burned down, go get a house somewhere else. But you know, the um, 80 years my folks or my family's been up here, and just how hard I've worked, you know, to to do my part, and you know, to create a nice home and life for my family is just it was too much to walk away from sure. that is just incredible spirit it really is and you know major major props to you and your fellow firefighters that's yeah. just incredible <laughs> um so can you give us um a rundown of the state of the vineyards that you own um are they do you you know, were any of them damaged um I saw um the aerial of your ranch and all the the burnt scorched earth around it um yeah well the, the crop is destroyed um you know i bought i bought my um my dad out of one of our bigger vineyards this last year and farmed it for the first time put a lot of money in retrofit and you know farmed it organically and spent a 
ton of money on it. Um, so I picked it anyways, just to see what can happen. That's Bald um, Mountain? Yeah. Um, so I've got that, and I'm just trying to figure out, you know, ways I can try to um, manage the smoke tent on my own, just with my own ideas, rather than, no, no, it's, it's a combination of reading things and talking to people, but at this point in time, I've got the, uh, the juice has been picked for a week, and I've got it, you know, ice cold and trying to settle anything out of it. And then I'll give it a couple rackings and and then kind of just go down the road doing the regular deal. And if it turns out like if it doesn't turn out good, then I'll distill it, which I don't really want to do. But if I have to, I can turn it into brandy and sell that in ten years from now. There you go. There's there's your looking on the bright side. <laughs> right. And I sure. think it's a, a perfect point place to bring in Prudy because uh, you know smoke taint is what you're all about these days, Prudy and. Uh, uh, first, I'm going to remind you to unmute yourself, our little Zoom hiccup thing. Okay. Um, tell us, Prudy, you work with so many wineries and vineyards uh, all around the Santa Cruz Mountains. Tell us me about what's going on with you and, and how the fire impacted your work. Well, we are, as you're probably going to find out, as people probably are going to barge in right while I'm even talking because we're finishing another harvest right now, we're forging ahead. We're being as smart as we can about this. As soon as this fire happened, I immediately contacted uh, colleagues of mine who were associated with the 2017 fires up in Sonoma and Napa. Um, knowing that this had all happened for other people and knowing people had been uh, like the Fries who were impacted as radically as Annie, where parts of their buildings burned down, and Bradley, where um, or other vineyards where just some of the grapes were impacted. It's funny, grapes themselves don't really burn. I mean, if, if they're, the fire's right there, they will. And so you do get singed vines, but on the whole, grapes don't burn. Obviously, the issue is smoke. Um, what I'm finding out is we really don't know what we don't know. I'm a data, I'm a data hound, and so I've just been spending time um, sampling vineyards all over and sending in, hey, there's right <laughs> um, I've been sending in uh, samples, grape, fresh fruits, fresh grape samples and, and fermented wine samples, what they call micro-fermentations. And we've been getting just as much data as we can. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that the marker they used in this data is a chemical called guaiacol, mm. which is a component of lignin, which is a component of burning wood, basically, which is also exists in oak barrels exists naturally in Syrah wines, exists in Scotch. So when you hear this word term smoke taint, I, I just think it's sort of an overused term and that we have to be really, I'm, I'm starting to think of it as a smoke flavor, <laughs> as a smoke flavor component. And it's basically, if it's, if it's too much and it overpowers, then that's a bad thing. Um, however, there might be, there might be points in at lower levels that we may find that it truly is just another flavor component. Of course, what's really interesting about it is there's all different components and I won't get deep, too detailed. I've already had enough people tell me they don't want that much information, but there's these different, different, different components in what they call smoke taint. That's really an umbrella term. And so it can be something as awful as a creosol, which, which is like a tarry, almost like road tar, which you definitely mm. wouldn't want. But some of these other components really are just parts of what is naturally occurring in burning things that burn in nature. And so um, where the vineyard is, 
which components fell out, how far the smoke traveled, all of that are factors in what kind of smoke, even if, even if your vineyards are testing higher at different detected levels, it's not the same thing you're gonna detect in each vineyard. So I'm, I know we're gonna learn a lot out of this entire event and we're trying a lot of different things. And like what Ryan said, we're getting really creative. Sure. Um, so Prudy, how many vineyards are you working with now? And of those, um, how many do you think have been impacted by the smoke? Well, that's really hard to say because some people I work with more directly than others. I mean, I'm very hands-on, constantly involved with probably 20 or 30 vineyards where I'm really very directly involved in what they're doing and then maybe another quite a number of others that just communicate with me uh, for advice, basically. They'll email or call me or I might go to their vineyard once. Um, but I have been all over, so that would be in Bonnie Dune, up in Portola Valley, in Coralitos, uh, out in Watsonville, up in Soquel, up on the summit. So I've really seen a wide range of vineyards and all the way from really like at Annie's Vineyard where you're really tasting the fruit right front and center next to, next to uh, piles of ash, mm. tragically, to, um, to vineyards that don't have that kind of taste and a lot, um, working a lot with Steve Stores, um, just doing a lot of sensory stuff ourselves, um, but as well, everything's backed up by labs and lab analysis. Right. However, the labs are so backed up that mm -hmm we have to rely on a lot of different techniques. Sure. And could you also explain about smoke taint that it doesn't always show up right when you test the grapes. It might show up in fermentation. It might show up not until bo after bottling. I mean, can you explain right. that a little bit? Well, Mary and I were talking about this earlier and it becomes yeah. a question of, is it worth it to go through the process and the expense of you know, fermenting, bottling, the whole shebang. If hey guys, sorry to interrupt, but I got my, yeah. I got to go. Okay. But thank okay, you for Ryan. including me. Bye. All right. Thanks, yeah. Ryan. Thank you so much. Good luck to you. Thank yes. Um, yeah, I, I think, is it worth it? I think that's a really important question. Absolutely. Um, because there is a lot of expense that goes into the whole process. Obviously, in terms of the vineyard, almost all the expense has already been made. So really, you're looking at the expense of harvest. And even if you don't harvest the grapes, you still have to drop the grapes for the health of the vines. So um, the, the vineyard expense is probably fairly minimal, but obviously the trucking and the winemaking is a whole new level, not to mention just the personal energy expended. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, but that being said, again, I think there's just so much we don't know. In Sonoma, they definitely had, in Napa, they definitely had this experience where the wine showed um, smoke off, off smoke flavors um, post-bottling. But as far as I've been able to figure out, I'd be interested even in, among this panel to see what other people could add to this. Um, the people that I personally am aware of that had smoke show up in bottles after the fact are people that actually identified problems with their wine post-fermentation, then had the wine treated with what a process they call reverse osmosis or RO. Mm -hmm. They thought they cleared it up and then it re-emerged. Mm. Um, I, haven't, I haven't really seen a lot of evidence of people with especially low levels of smoke detected in the analysis that then had something really blow up in the bottle. And, and again, but that, 
that in itself is not enough information. We just don't have enough information. And that's why UC Davis is collecting samples from every vineyard all over California who thinks they might be affected. Um, it's really important for everyone to contribute their wine samples at this time so we can learn as much as possible about it. I, you, you just can't make that blanket statement though that, oh, it's gonna show up later in the bottle because that's only in very specific situations. And is it a one season thing? I had a friend ask me, does the damage from ash or smoke impact a vine? And so could there be damage next season or is it just this one fruit crop? It's actually, yeah. yeah, I'll let you go, Prudy. I mean, you probably read the same stuff from Australia that I did, but they have a lot of research on it. They do? Oh, sure, with the big fires there, of course. I mean, grapes have a long memory for sure. So if you, if you burn their cambium layer, they're going to have to find other ways to get their products to, their, to the fruit. But in terms of it affecting the fruit set next year, it shouldn't, unless, unless you were singed, unless your vines were physically burned, you, it's not going to make any difference next year. We, we probably had maybe 20% of our vineyards singed. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit. You know, that's a couple acres over the whole 10 acres. Um, and... Yeah, where the vines are singed and more heavily damaged, some of those vines could end up dying. Um, some trunks were pretty burnt to a crisp, but uh, but the singed vines, they say that damages the buds that are already formed for next year's crop. And so you can end up with a lot of uh, damage where your, your fruit, your crop the next year on those seriously damaged vines is non-existent or very heavily reduced. So we'll, we'll have to see, but I mean, the other 80% of the vineyard hopefully is fine. They say that some vines don't even show massive damage, can still be damaged. Um, but well, yeah, we really just won't know until we get into it. The, the smoke taint part of it, the flavor effect is not going to carry over to the right. next year at all. That'll have yeah. nothing, no effect. Okay. Annalise, uh, can I call, or should I call you Annie or Annalisa? Either one is fine. All right. Annie, what about you guys? When you think about, are you planning to replant your lost vineyards? And what does that look like in terms of how long will that take before you're harvesting fruit again that you can make sure. wine with? Um, we don't anticipate losing much of our vineyard. Um, there was some singeing, in, um, especially around close to my grandma's house and close to the redwood grove there. But, um, you know, already a few weeks out um, from the fire, there's... Uh, new green growth coming out from the vines that looked completely burned. So that, that, that feels good. Um, we don't know about, you know, our, our new plants, whether we're going to have to replant or whether they're going to pull through. Uh, we are insured, you know, we have crop insurance. So um, at least, you know, I imagine if we lost that, you know, those 500 new plants that we would try to, uh, you know, put new ones in this coming spring if possible. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Bradley, I know you've been bringing in fruit from some other vineyards. Are you crushing at your winery? Yeah, we're, we're operating, thankfully. Um, uh, we borrowed, you know, we ended up, we purchased some new fermenters because we lost every fermenter. And, you know, we had some other people loan some picking bins to us and some other things. We rented a tractor. Um, but yeah, we're, we've been able to operate on generator power and trucked in water. That's amazing. Was nice. I mean, I, you know, I just feel Fran, Elisa, and 
you know, losing the whole wine too. I mean, I, I, we had places we could have gone to make the wine, but it would have been really challenging. You know, we had all of our custom barrels that we'd had ordered from France and just a lot of things that we couldn't have reproduced. Um, a lot of the different vessels we used, concrete tanks and clay amphora that, you know, we wouldn't have been able to get somewhere else. So, so we have been able to, and, and, and you know, it's, uh, we're crossing our fingers just praying that the wines are below threshold with the smoke taint and it seems like it's you know there might be slightly detectable smoke possible in some of the wines but we don't really know yet they're mostly smelling really good right now and we didn't have fruit coming from vineyards that were directly adjacent to the fire like ours was I mean ours is just you know it's like Bonnie and and it's just there's there was no hope and I wish I could say I had crop insurance, but we didn't. So, you know, the $100,000 I spent on farming the vineyard this year is a total loss. Yeah. And, you know, the, and God knows, I mean, that, that would have, that was all of our estate wine. So mm -hmm. you know, that's 700,000 plus dollars in estate wine down the road that I won't have anything from 2020. Yeah. So you, had, you had just bottled, finished bottling your 2019 vintage. Part of it, yeah. Um, part of it, yeah. Is yeah. that is that okay? I mean, even without um, um, power and water to keep things cool, um, you think that's going to fare okay? Yeah, amazingly enough, you know, when I finally got into the winery, what a week or ten days later, it was sixty-eight degrees in there. Oh. You know, and it's we just insulated the hilt out of that 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 barn and. Uh, and put radiant foil all around it mm. and so, so well insulated and had it had so much thermal mass in it that it just stayed cool i mean it had 1800 cases freshly bottled and on pallets and then of course all the barrels of all you know the other two-thirds of that vintage were all still in barrel so and the wine the smoke didn't seem to really penetrate the main part of the winery um at least not noticeably that much maybe slight um, it did other parts of the winery building, but the barrel room, you know, doesn't appear that our wines were messed up from smoke or something from what we can tell. There's some good news. And, you know, I heard also that you got another, in the midst of all this madness and, and sadness for you, you got some good news from um, a wine critic who had high praise for some of your wine. You want to tell us about it? Sure, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always nice to receive accolades. You know, we don't live or die by the critics, and we'll we just keep making the wines that we believe in and that we're passionately driven to make. Um, and you know, Blake Yarger's a really key part of my winemaking team. You know, he's he is the winemaker now. You know, and while I'm dealing with insurance claims, he's the one up at the winery every day right now. <laughs> and you know, we've worked really closely together. Obviously, a bunch of vintages, so uh, I have total confidence in him. And uh, but yeah, we Antonio Galoni published some really nice story on the Santa Cruz Mountains in general. Yes. And um, we he really appreciated many of the wines in that review. So that. That was definitely gratifying to get some recognition. And I believe there's some other really nice uh, reviews coming out from uh, the wine enthusiast from Matt Ketman as well. Yeah, he actually, yeah, and he actually came out um, just recently with a nice overview of um, several, you know, 
divided it into three different zones and all of your wineries and um, Ryan's were included in that article. So that's exciting. And, um, you know, just to brag on the Santa Cruz Mountains region because I love it so much. Um, Galoni called um, the 2016, 17 and 18 vintages that he tasted um, exceptional and wines of breathtaking pedigree. So, you know, um, you know, and this, you know, and we want the word to get out about how great the wines are. We don't want people to pan the 2020 vintage and all the wineries in the region because of the fires. So, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have some good news like this. Um, Prudy, in terms of the, um, are there any wineries that you've worked with who have said, um, with the, you know, McHenry obviously, but we're not going to pick this year? because of the, you know, damage or whatever? I've had, it's been an emotional roller coaster, I would say for, I mean, harvest is always an emotional time. And especially for winemakers, um, there's many decisions that are really have to be made very quickly because of all kinds of environmental events that happen. It gets hot, it gets cold, it rains. And so um, I think initially there was a push for, there were, I, more than a few winemakers who basically said, we're not going to pick, we're not, we want, only want to make the best wine we can. And so we're not going to do it. But I think, again, as we've emerged through this and gotten data back and tasted the fruit and really started to work with it, we're realizing that there's so much we don't know. Um, Bradley referenced the Australians, their data and their scales and point of reference are vastly different than the ones that we're given here in California to judge whether or not a wine is usable, uh, vastly different scales. So um, it's, it's giving many winemakers pause, thinking, well, let me really consider here. Let me trust my own sensory uh, ability. Let me really pay attention to what's going on here. I know every winemaker I work with is dedicated absolutely to putting out the best wine they can from this vintage and that being said every vintage tells a story and so to run and hide from this year's story just because it it can't compare to the 2018 let's say which it may or may not it remains to be seen in some cases um is is probably doing a disservice to the whole industry so i'm really glad that most of the winemakers i work with have come around to realize there is some good fruit out there, or, or we hope it might still be. We're open-minded and we understand that it still might not work out, but we're, we're still working with it and we've been very pleasantly surprised so far. And um, so I would say people are, the jury's still out. Yeah, I would I'd totally have to agree with that. And, you know, we've gone ahead and gotten fruit from some of the vineyards Prudy works with and and Coralitos, it was quite a bit further from the fire. And, you know, that time duration post burn is really important. And, you know, the further you are away from the point of ignition, it can really help. And, you know, it's that density and duration of smoke, but age of smoke as well, that are all these complex factors. And, you know, if as long as that smoke is kind of influencing the wine is kind of below threshold, um, below most people's threshold or, or doesn't mask the beauty of the wine or uh, obtrude in a really incongruous way, then, you know, we still could have some amazing wines, even if there's slightly detectable smoke. You know, I know from 
other California fires and wine regions that, you know, wineries that put out wines that were grossly smoke tainted suffered from it. So mm -hmm. it's like, obviously you don't want to do that. It's still got to be a beautiful wine at the end right. of the day. And, and we, we have to trust our sensory apparatus. No lab is going to tell us is it a beautiful wine or not. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's Good where point. we're kind of hoping, <laughs> wishing. We will certainly keep our fingers crossed too. And mm -hmm. hey, Annalisa, you guys, are you planning to rebuild the winery? And what does that process look for like for you guys? How long will that take? And are you already starting that or what? Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely our goal to rebuild the winery. We would love to have a winery ready for harvest next year. Um, you know, but we're just starting this whole process. Um, the site hasn't even been cleaned yet. You know, there's trees all around the winery need to be assessed. So there's a lot that needs to happen, but we're hopeful that, you know, we can be up and running in a year. Um, in the meantime, though, the, you know, the winemaking community, community around us has been so overwhelmingly generous, people offering their facilities, you know, Ryan offered his facility. Um, and Prudy has actually helped us find some fruit uh, so that we will have a little batch of something for 2020. And it's being made uh, by, uh, John Benedetti over at uh, Santea Cundeli in nice. Relita. So, uh, you know, that's that's been a really wonderful thing. I feel like we've uh, gotten closer with the winemaking community here. Nice. Another yes. silver lining. Yes. So um, there are, I want to talk about how people can help you. Um, what's the best thing they can do? Um, is it buy wine? Is it join your wine club? Um, what does that look like? And also, um, what um, organizations you feel are, there's several that are encouraging people to donate money to help um, the wineries in the region and other businesses in the region that have been impacted. What do you feel are maybe the most um, impactful for your particular wineries? Um, you know, for us, it's direct sales are hugely helpful. People just, you know, send us an email um, and order. We're uh, actually, we have some extra time on our hands now. So we're you know, <laughs> delivering ourselves to people in the Bay Area and Santa Cruz areas. Uh, we also have a GoFundMe. Um, okay. We know that we're not gonna recoup all of what we need to um, rebuild. And we also, you know, lost two complete vintages. So, um, you know, we're still figuring out what we need but we know that we do need help yeah sure. i would agree like you know certainly more direct sales is helpful you know people uh getting the word out there um you know our some of our brokers and distributors have been really good about it too um and people have been stepping up and buying wine and you know and that gets our name out there and it's it helps build our brand and you know if people join our wine club that's that's fabulous and I know we kicked around the idea of a GoFundMe um, to cover some of the vineyard loss, um, but it's not super clear yet, kind of. So we haven't moved on forward on something like that, but um, I mean, people have certainly been asking, you know, I think, you know, equipment and tractors and all that stuff's replaceable and insured. We're not worried about that. It's mainly crop losses that, that really hurt, uh, hurt us hard, but, um, yeah, I think uh, hopefully there's a silver lining in it where more people know about our wineries that uh, were affected by this fire than before. And we can get the word out there in a wider community and 
Uh, there's certainly some beautiful wines coming out of the Santa Cruz Mountains, so this yes. is time for people to discover that. And um, I wanted to ask you about something you're doing. I haven't seen other wineries, maybe they are doing it, but um, you just had a release or there's a current release for your winery, Bradley, and um, you know that some of your members have either been impacted financially or logistically and can't receive their wines or whatever. And um, so, you, so tell us about um, what you're doing with the, the um, release this year. <laughs> yeah, paint it forward, good. Yeah, well, you know, letting people put things on hold. You know, there are people who lost their homes and their wine collections that were really dedicated customers of ours. And so we're just trying to be as empathetic as possible with folks um, and just acknowledging that, yeah, we know, you know, it's, it you know, may not be a time that you can receive shipments now. And, and you know, we want to sort of stand by you and let's get through this thing together. You know, I'm hopeful that we can at some point reopen our winery tasting room and start hosting customers and have a reunion for local, all of our local fans, many of whom have been displaced, um, including me. And that gives me an excuse to go up there. Um, you know, and also for a chance for people to see the fires too. You know, if we can get up there, they can see the damage. I mean, we were really... You know, us and Bonnie Dune, I mean, we, we were really an epicenter for it. I mean, it's just driving up memory lane and driving up 236, just the amount of homes that were totally devastated. Is, it's just every time I go, I get pretty emotional. And, uh, you know, I had to meet insurance adjusters up there at the house today. And it's just, it's really emotional because, you know, I spend, you know, I might not have 80 years in the San Cruz months. I have like almost 30, though. So not quite as much as Ryan, but. I did spend five years building that house and put, you know, two entire years of my life into it. And, you know, from cutting down the trees to having it all milled on site. And it's a house that, you know, I don't know if it's even reproducible. There were so many unique pieces of wood in that house. It'll never be built the same. So, you know, who knows what I'll decide to do ultimately there, but um, it's definitely the end of the era for that particular version of the house could never be rebuilt and <clears throat> yeah. kind of an insane art project but yeah it's pretty gut-wrenching so every time I go up there there's that sense and I, I didn't grab like hardly anything I lost so much art mm. and mm. stuff I collected over the years from different countries and things so yeah, that's the thing that for, for the, the memento the stuff that Annalisa was talking about too the family mementos the your history yeah. in a place and that hurts and it's in it's stuff that's irreplaceable and so our hearts do go out to all of you guys and I think what I hear though from you all is the spirit of you're not shying away from this you're going back you know no one's saying I'm done Santa Cruz Mountains no moss and I'm so impressed by that and that spirit of like okay well we're gonna keep working with this um, with this year's crop and we're gonna see what we can do see what we can make out of it and we're gonna go forward from here and put our best foot forward so kudos to you all for that and I know you have so much to do all of you so we don't want to keep you uh much longer but we are so grateful for your time today it's yes so and um you know we will we keep you in our thoughts um I know our listeners will and hopefully you might have some new customers um we really encourage our our listeners to seek out your wines they are so beautiful and um I just want to, again, say the spirit, and I think there'll be some innovations coming out of the region, 
and um, that that gives us hope. I think hopefully, you know, for everybody. And um, we really appreciate you taking your t- the time to talk to us and tell us your stories. We sure do. The the vineyards today, the wineries that you've been l- learning about are Big Basin Vineyards, Beauregard Winery, McHenry Vineyards, and every winery that and vineyard that Prudy Fox has touched. So um, do go out and support Santa Cruz Mountain Wineries. That's the best thing you can do. Yes, and um, we hope to talk to you all in happier circumstances very soon. All right, thanks again for joining us. Sip, sip, hooray, you guys. Hang in there. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. What a show. I mean, such a serious subject, not our typical podcast episode, but so important for our listeners, you all, to hear these stories of heroism and the spirit that um, these folks have. It's truly amazing. And yes, you can help them by buying wine directly from the website and joining their wine club, but there's also some community funds that you can contribute to. And Alyssa mentioned that she has started a GoFundMe page. You can find that by searching McHenry Vineyards CZU Complex. And um, there's the Community Foundation Santa Cruz. They have a fire response fund. Um, and then the Santa Cruz Mountain Wine Growers Foundation, they have an emergency relief fund. Um, the Santa Cruz Mountain Wine Growers is the entity that promotes and supports the wineries in the region. And then there's a statewide 2020 Wine Country Fire Relief Fund. It's a GoFundMe as well. And um, they're raising money for all the areas impacted by fires in the state of California. So they'll send the aid to where it's needed the most. We will post all of this information on our show page for um, this particular episode on our website. And speaking of our website, it is sipsipparadepodcast.com, and there you can find the links to those funds Mary Orlin mentioned, as well as notes about our show and past episodes as well. Also, you can follow us, and we invite you to on social media. We are at Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And we hope the next time you join us, the topic is more uplifting, but we are sending our love and support to our friends in the Santa Cruz Mountains and indeed to wineries all over the state of California that have been impacted by fire this season. All right, well, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks so much for listening and please do join us again. Sip, sip, hooray and cheers to you.